G'day everyone, it's Wes League here from Business Blessings and I want to uh, give a quick introduction to this episode three of our Business Blessings podcast. Part of the, my aim with this podcast is to bring you all sorts of different recordings that I've made over the years or from different events that I've hosted. So this one is actually from an event that I just hosted this past Wednesday night and it's with a guy called Dean Briggs. Who is Dean? He's a full-time intercessory missionary uh, serving with the leadership team of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. He's a teacher, he's a preacher, he's a dreamer, and he's helper to other ministries and businesses with a focus on helping them to strategically maximize their vision, resources, and impact. Dean is currently on a tour here in Australia promoting the World Prayer Assembly that's uh, being held in Perth in October, and I'll encourage you to check that out and attend uh, that if you can. His topic, uh, they were, the reason this dinner came about was that I was helping uh, in my role as the Vice Chairman of the National Day of Prayer and Fasting in Australia Praise, uh, hosting some events with him and I was uh, putting some information out about him, but I was reading his profile and I thought, you know what, he needs to be speaking to business people as well. So I texted out a few friends and we had about 25 come to dinner. Uh, so the... Uh, the recording is in a restaurant. There is some background noise to it, but you can still hear Dean quite clearly. And when I asked Dean to share, he jumped at the chance. He said, this is what I want to share on. I want to share on 500 degrees of revelation, business success in times of transition. And he goes into some quite insightful revelation, particularly from David, but also looks at Daniel, uh, that I think you'll find it helpful. Hence why I'm putting this recording out there on our podcast for you. Well, I'd love to hear some comments and feedback uh, from it. Uh, let me know what God speaks to you about. Take time. You may need to listen to it once or twice more uh, just to let God ruminate with you, to ponder these things as Mary did, and then ask him, God, what is it that you want me to take from this to apply to my situation right now or speak to me about for in the future. Bless you guys. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, we're going. So, I don't know. Uh, I can stand if you want me to stand. Would that be better to stand? Okay, I'll stand. Yeah. You do a little Irish. So... Introductions aside, my name is Dean Briggs, and uh, I have had a, a range of experiences in my life, as we all have. I pastored for 11 years, planted and pastored a church, uh, but I've always, for the most part, been bivocational. So uh, it started with um, a freelance graphic design business that helped me pay the bills while I was pastoring a small church. And uh, that turned into uh, a broader kind of marketing business. And uh, uh, that turned into some marketing consulting. I've ended up uh, in, uh, I've worked in journalism, graphic design, radio. Um, I have done new product development for uh, a manufacturing company, have my name on two patents and um, uh, do organizational consulting and narrative branding for ministries and businesses in North America. Just 
pretty much on a um, referral basis, not, not uh, word of mouth. I don't really try to push it because I'm busy enough as it is, but uh, as the Lord opens up opportunities, I have uh, worked with some major ministries and uh, mass mobilization. So uh, that's part of why my skill set worked on behalf of WPA to help message. It's a little bit of a fusion of ministry and mobilization for uh, Australia, for the World Prayer Assembly. But I have a particular affinity. My, my father was an entrepreneur and a self-made man and a businessman. He went to law school. His dad groomed him to be a businessman. And he went to law school to pass the time because he no one took him seriously at 19 years old. So he went to law school just to get old enough where people would finally take him seriously. But he was always, he was a hustler. He was a, you know, he was a businessman. And uh, he, he passed on a lot, a lot of those values. And as I've gotten older in my own life and as a minister, I think there is a great mistake the church has made by, by talking about those in ministry in the church alone. And not recognizing the anointing that is across the body of Christ in every sphere. And the, the, the engine that drives society is business. And uh, if we capture people for two hours on a Sunday, that's awesome. But the work day is where everyone exists. The harvest is in the workforce. The harvest is in the, the fields of industry and commerce. And so... Um, I actually, when when uh, Matt asked uh, and Wes asked if I could maybe do this, I, I jumped at the chance because I really enjoy talking to business leaders and just trying to provide some context and inspiration. You know, you're slogging it out like everybody and you can get weary, you can get disillusioned, you can get frustrated, you have your up and down cycles, your red months and your black months. And... Uh, uh, I hope I can encourage you. So, the encouragement I want to give is in in a transformative era. I, I don't know if I don't recognize very many faces, so I doubt if many of you were able to be there today. But I made the point today, and actually, you probably know it as well or better than leaders in the church. We're in a new era. COVID has rewritten the rules. COVID has changed everything. And it's, it's, it's fruitless to try to go back to normal. The only thing we can do is go forward and create the new future. For about five years in my consulting, I've been using the phrase, the necessary future. Because that little word, for some reason, at least to me and those I've talked to, when we talk about What's your vision of the future? What does the future look like? We pray for the future. We anticipate the future. But the future alone, that word alone, is just abstract enough to feel like, well, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. But to say the necessary future is to assume a measure of ownership. To say it could be something uh, abstract and unknowable. Or it may just be that I'm responsible for shaping it. And so the necessary future, I think, 
in uh, an era of transformation, in an era of a, a shift from one era into another, requires that we be a prophetic people. And here again, this is why the anointing of the, the business leaders is uh, equally important to the anointing of the ministry leaders. You, as sons and daughters of God, are meant to hear His voice. It's, it is, you are meant to live with a prophetic spirit. You're meant to live with a sense of intuition. And you can call it whatever you want. Some of you, I don't know if everyone in this room is a Christian or not. I'm a believer that God talks to all of us whether we know it or not. Yeah. But I, I believe as a, as a Christian, I have a little bit more of a direct line, if you will. I have the ability to be confident that He wants to talk to me and to hear Him and to expect to hear Him. It becomes a two-way conversation. It becomes a two-way conversation. Well said. So, uh, in the time of David, we see one of these pivotal periods of transformation. David lived through something... I, I love digging into the story behind Scripture. Scripture is notoriously brief. I mean, consider the universe happened in one chapter. Right? It's like, wow. Could you unpack that a little bit? He says, well, on the sixth day I did this, and it was good. Move on to the seventh day. So there's a lot in Scripture that aligns with history, but unless you know how to dig and figure out the alignments, you might miss some of the, some of the, the, the beautiful uh, stories there. So we know from secular history there's such a thing as the Bronze Age and the Iron Age. Well, okay, hold on. Let's back up. Daniel 2. Daniel 2 talks about God changing times and seasons. And he, he raises up kings, He brings down kings, and He changes times and seasons. Well, this is one of those era shift passages. To raise up a king or bring down a king is meant to signal to us, in fact, all through history, we see eras shifting in the shifting of kings. Whether it's a, a king or an empire of kings. So you have the Babylonian Empire and the Assyrian Empire and the Roman Empire. But the Bible itself is marked by kings. First and second kings, first and second chronicles. You have one king after another after another from David to Solomon to all the kings that followed. You have the prophets who would reference their time by the name of the king. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, chapter 6, I saw the Lord. Daniel, serving under Cyrus, serving under uh, Belshazzar, serving under Darius. And this, this man who knew how to hear God fast and pray, embedded in Babylon, ruled over the shift of empires. It's remarkable. It's actually, I believe the anointing the Lord is going to increase on marketplace leaders in the midst of an increasingly Babylonian culture among the nations of the earth to hear God and gain favor with the king. Daniel wasn't at war with the, those kings. we got to shift our mindset. We, have, we live in a hostile world, but Jesus said He sent us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And there's a part of us that wants to be the wolf. 
You know, we want to be the alpha dog. We want to be the top dog. But there's actually a, a grace and a favor. I'm not talking about being excellent in your work. Being, you know, I'm not talking about having a, a spirit of dominion in what you do. Daniel had testimonies of dominion, but he was never the king. But he had favor with the king and steered the king because he didn't look at the king as his enemy. He looked at, at, at them as the, the, the man God had appointed and therefore required the hand of the Lord upon them. So, if you're sent out as sheep in the midst of wolves, well, I'm going to go. That's going to take me down another area, so I'm not going to do that. There's a great marketplace message there and how we, how we can position ourselves as enemies of culture or as transformers of culture. But, the raising of kings and the lowering of kings is not the only thing that signals a shift. Eras shift by knowledge also. And we see this throughout history. You have the Dark Ages that became the Enlightenment. You have feudal medieval Europe that became the democracies of the world. You have uh, the Industrial Revolution that led to uh, uh, the Atomic Age that now we're, we live in what we call the information age. We went from the atomic age to the space age to the information age. What characterizes all of those? Now we're actually in, well, so what characterizes all of those? Knowledge. Revelation, in other words. There was a revelation of atomic power that defined that era because the world didn't know about atomic power until the world knew about atomic power. There was a revelation in the, the, the technology that drove the space race, that drove the personal computer, the technology age, the, 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 the digital revolution, uh, the information age we live in now. Daniel said in the last days, knowledge will increase. And there is more knowledge happening. By the end of this gathering, there will be no more knowledge in the earth. It's happening at an exponential rate I don't remember the latest report. It was about three years ago. The last report I heard was that the average college textbook is outdated in six months. You used to be able to print a textbook and it would last a decade. Now it's largely outdated in six months. Well, that's, that's in, how do you keep up with that? It's not just that kind of knowledge. The, the governments of the world and, the, and, and big tech, the social media, they know more about you than your spouse does. <laughs> no, they've got they have you broken down into bits and bytes so that they can market to you effectively. Well, one of these era shifts was from the Bronze Age to the Iron Age. And we see it described in the Bible without putting it in those terms. The the uh The nations of the ancient Near East, the Levant, uh, all had, they moved from the Stone Age to the Bronze Age, and the Bronze Age lasted about 3,000 years. And it, it lasted up until we, we start to read in Scripture, the Philistines had iron. But in all of Israel, only Saul and Jonathan had iron swords and iron armor. And it was one of the disadvantages. 
Israel, when we read of the challenges that Saul faced in this fledgling kingdom called Israel, delivered from Egypt, brought into the promised land, attempting to take the promised land and dislocate their enemies, but the problem was the enemies had a technological advantage. Now, we don't think of the Iron Age as technological, but it's all relative, right? So, uh, only a few nations at that time had iron. Why? Because bronze was made of tin and copper. And bronze, uh, copper melted. Tin had a very low melting point. But copper melted at about 500 degrees Celsius, roughly. About 500 degrees Celsius. So you could melt bronze and melt tin, I mean melt copper, melt tin, make the alloy bronze. And so for 3,000 years, that was a relatively, it was a, a, an advance over uh, Stone Age weapons. But there was a limit. Terrestrial iron is one of the most abundant sources on earth. It's everywhere. It's on every continent. It's in every nation. They knew about it. But what they didn't know how to do was extract it. Because it melts at about 1,000 degrees Celsius. And they didn't have the technology to get the extra 500 degrees. That took time. And it was a slow process of different nations in different areas. There were only a handful of nations that had it to begin with. This was the early IP, right? The, those that figured out how to build a different kind of chimney situation, add carbon to raise the temperature of the fire and a bellows gained 500 degrees of extra heat and they closely guarded that. Now, it eventually diffused into other nations, but for the longest time, the Philistines and a handful of other nations, they were the first to discover how to get that extra 500 degrees. So what separates the Bronze Age and the Iron Age is 500 degrees of revelation. What separates it, 500 degrees of fire, but that was a technological process. It was trial and error. It was business. It was a business enterprise. It was a military enterprise. And so, uh, um, in the time of Saul and Jonathan, they were limited in their weapons and the Philistines always had superior weapons. Because you hit an iron, uh, a bronze sword with an iron sword, and the bronze sword is either going to crack, bend, or dull, or break. Then along comes David. And we see David rise to the throne. We see David ascend. And all of a sudden, the descriptions begin to shift, and the Israeli army gets iron. But how did that happen? Well, there's nothing specific in Scripture. This is going to be the most encouraging part, okay? The most encouraging part. First, I want, I want, I want you to get your heads around 500 degrees of revelation. In your business, in your industry, in your life, there is a Bronze Age and an Iron Age. And there's 500 degrees of revelation to move into a new era. It may be a product you need to develop. 
It may, uh, it may need to be a, uh, a marketing angle, an opportunity to exploit, a new business opportunity. And what you lack is not just the opportunity, but the revelation of the opportunity. I could go down a list of remarkable achievements that impacted medicine, military, music, literature, and sports that came to people in dreams. Jack Nicklaus, the celebrated golfer, <clears throat> developed uh, the swing that, that, that made him the golfer, the legendary golfer he was. He received that, uh, it was a new ha- uh, grip on his handle. He got it in a dream. Elias Howe, the inventor of the sewing machine, had this idea to mechanize the the slow, tedious process of sewing by hand. And he was frustrated because he couldn't figure out in the machine how to finish the, the, the way the thread would insert and come down. And he had been putting the thread, the the eye of the... The, the needle at the top. He had been stuck there, putting it at the top. All of a sudden, he has a dream that he's being chased by cannibals on a primitive island, and they're chasing him with spears, but the tip of the spear has a hole in it. And he wakes up and thinks, that's it. I need to put the hole at the tip, not at the top. Story after story after story. Uh, um, not John Lennon. Paul McCartney. <laughs> Paul McCartney, the most covered song in rock and roll history, is the Paul McCartney song. You go ahead. Just do what you got to do. Paul McCartney's song, Yesterday, has more covers of it than any other song in history. The song came to him in a dream. Okay, that's a divine revelation process. Now, a dream is obvious, but some of you need a dream. And I don't mean just a daydream, but I do mean that too. I mean that, that part of our imagination that's just wired for weird ideas. <laughs> that intuitive part of us that thinks, well, that's crazy, but I can't stop thinking about it. That dreaming faculty at night where God loves to reveal secrets. That problem-solving mechanism where I'm bothered by this and I'm bothered by this. Have you ever had those moments where it's like, what is that word I'm trying to remember? I can't remember, I can't remember. And I just know, okay, if I just get bothered enough and then forget about it, I'm going to go away and in 30 minutes my mind is going to bring it back to me. These are revelatory processes. Man, this is looking good. i got to get finished. Are they Farrah Mundy? So, and I am, I'm about to finish. So, revelation comes in a lot of ways. It's a divine process. I think it's a natural process. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's relational. Husbands, listen to your wives. They are vessels of intuition. I remember a story... Uh, uh, in counseling, it wasn't my personal story. It was when I when I was g- going through some training as a pastor in counseling, and hearing this story of a successful businessman whose business had inexplicably begun to deteriorate. He and his wife were arguing. They were at a point of conflict in their marriage. 
And, and his, his business had been just killing it year after year after year. And then it took a nosedive. They're in counseling. They're working on their marriage. And the counselor, out of the blue, says to the wife, if you could ask your husband to do anything, what would you ask him to do, change? Without missing a beat, she said, now, in a marriage conflict, you could think of a lot of things, right? Listen more, take me out on dates, whatever. She said, I want him to clean the garage. What do y'all call it? Garage? So the, the counselor said, are you willing to do this? He went home and cleaned the garage and inexplicably his business rebounded. Now, you could say that's happenstance, accident, coincidence. But I think it was some things were out of sorts in him, probably reflected in the lack of discipline that he had brought to the mess in his garage. And his wife was intuitively picking up on that this is a bigger problem than you know. And if you'll just do this, other stuff will start to come into play. That was revelation. I guarantee you that guy was happy to clean the garage. So, there's an episode in David's life. It's actually the lowest point in his life. Saul is chasing him. He's been anointed as king, crowned as king. He's supposed to be king. He's not king. So, lowest point in his life, and he has to flee from Saul. And he goes down to a city called Ziklag. You know the story. He goes to Ziklag. He is in such desperate straits. He's like, I have to go hide among my enemies. So he foams at the mouth so that they won't kill him. He acts like a madman. He lives there, I think, for 16 months, if I remember right. But he has to act like a crazy man so they won't kill him. Why? Because it's a Philistine camp. And coming out of Ziklag... David, shortly after, is crowned king. Saul is no more. And all of a sudden, Israel has iron. Now, Scripture doesn't say, here David learned the process. But, you put two and two together and you <coughs> just let the story tell itself. And at the lowest point in David's life, when everything seems to be falling apart, he gets 500 degrees of revelation for the next stage of his journey. Medium red. And so what I want to leave you with is, number one, as business leaders, and I'm going to pray for you, believe for revelation, expect revelation, ask for revelation, and if you get it, Test it, weigh it, but then don't, don't be timid to act on it. Right here. <laughs> We're about to wrap up. Thank you. Wow, that was amazing. Uh, secondly, Try to discern what God wants to shift in you, not just your business. That's part of that story with the husband. See, God is brilliant enough to achieve multiple things simultaneously. He operates on many levels. 
And sometimes we're so stuck on a question that's actually a distraction for what he's most interested in. He wants you to succeed, but he wants to succeed in you. And so if you're at a place where you're stuck and you're trying to break the wall down of the circumstance, the financials, the problem, the market, step back and say, what is it that you're actually trying to produce in me? And you might just get some revelation through that that may have nothing to do with your business, but it may have everything to do with your business. Third, what is third? <laughs> Make the most of your crisis. You probably know the, the, the Chinese character for the word crisis is opportunity and danger. It's the combination of those two, opportunity and danger. And in every crisis, what we most feel is the danger, but there's an opportunity there. And some of you ha have come out of your zigzag, and you don't know what you've come out with, and it may take a fresh exploration. What did I gain in that that I can apply? Some of you might be facing the zigzag, and you're terrified of it, but if you can go into it with the understanding, no matter how hard this is, God has a plan to prosper me. You might just come out with 500 degrees of revelation that could shift everything. So God, I ask just for an anointing of the shifting of eras here among these brothers and sisters in their businesses, their endeavors, their marriages, their, their families. God, I, I pray over their children and grandchildren for health and life and to know You and to love You. I pray for favor in their industries, favor and innovation, favor and problem solving, favor and opportunity, favor in negotiation skills. I'm asking for upgrades and, and, and divine ideas, dreams, practical problem solving, intuitive problem solving, just if we're moving from an old era to a new era, would you upgrade everyone in this room? And would you cause it to be manifest? And the bottom line, seriously, I know you care about that. The bottom line, would you cause them to prosper? Would you multiply them? And would you let them know that you are deeply in love with who they are as you not only change, transform their businesses, but transform them? So be with them. Especially, God, those that have gone through a ziklag recently and are so discouraged. God, for those most of all, they're the ones on my heart. Would you encounter them with rejuvenation and hope and life, even now? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless you. Let's eat. We can do whatever we need to do. Bless. Yeah. Yes, sir. Let's take a couple minutes to eat. You,